Welcome to another episode of National Energy Talk. I'm your host, Mark Stansbury. Today's guest is Jose Basaro, a friend of over a decade now. Jose, welcome. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back on the program. I appreciate you uh, reaching out. It's It's been, as you mentioned, been about a decade. Uh, so I, I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited as well. And, you know, it was February 12th. It was aired, uh, the radio show, uh, on February 12th of 2012. Uh, and uh, anyone that wants to hear the radio show, the weekly roundtable, uh, listen to Jose. It was, uh, uh, it's on SoundCloud, again, February 12th of uh, 2012. And uh, you've, my goodness, to bring up the audience up to date, uh, there's, there's so many things that have happened. Uh, if they listen to that show, I, and I'm not going to go necessarily ask you some of the same questions by any means, because of the journey from from Lub, Lubbock to the University of Texas and uh, on to your professions, uh, and I say professions in a plural way because of all the things you've done. In fact, I met you when you were working at, I believe, in Austin and with the city or the chamber. And uh, to take the audience from your journey, I don't call it a journey. Usually I have several questions in a row, of course, and how, how you go about on a podcast or on a radio show. And you have all these questions. I'm, I'm thinking for you, it's more of a journey. It's like taking uh, where you were in 2012 when you were working with the chamber you know, on the clean energy projects and also the smart grid initiative that you're working with, Pecan Street, and then moving it forward to the University of Texas that you worked with. And then, of course, also your consulting work leading up to where you are today, and that's also with the Greater uh, Houston Partnership 2.0 Energy, and where you see see everything's heading. I, you're, you are one that uh, already a visionary. You're always working towards not just the, the, the present, but the future, and look, you have an outlook. Where does the oil and gas industry fit in? Where do all forms of energy fit in? And you're seeing that in the oil and gas capital of the world, really, and that's Houston. So Tell us from 2012 on this great journey you've had. Yeah, Mark, thanks for for uh, walking down memory lane. I'd actually like to go back and listen to the full 2012 podcast to see, uh, learn more about my perspective back then. I think I have an idea, uh, but you know, back in 2012 when I was working for the Austin Chamber, you know, we were focused on on um, for the Austin, Texas region. We were really focused on diversifying our regional economic base and leveraging our tech industry, our IT software industry, computer industries to try to diversify into new, uh, what we call next wave industry sectors. Clean tech, renewables was was really the target of the program that I was working on in Austin. Um, but, you know, what's interesting, you fast forward to today and, and you know, my work, uh, you know, Throughout the the decade of you know, I worked for two different universities on energy research programs. I, I'm working for the Greater Houston Partnership right now. I've done my own project development work as a consultant to build solar farms in Texas. But what's really interesting is you know regions uh, around the nation and especially in Texas, you know that have um, focused strengths in certain areas. In Houston, it's energy uh, primarily. But what you start to learn is that every industry is really going through an evolution right now, and, and, and energy is no exception. And so, Mark, you mentioned just a second ago, you know, when we talk about energy transition or energy 2.0, we're talking about the entire energy industry. We're, we're talking about renewable energy. We're talking about 
battery energy storage, electric vehicle infrastructure. We're talking about oil and gas as well. Um, but one one interesting thing is is you know we're seeing this trend of not just the energy sector, but healthcare, life sciences, the space industry, manufacturing, you name it, all going through this digital transformation, you know, dealing with more data in real time, adding more digital technologies to make decisions more quickly, more efficiently, to reduce, you know, errors and in, in, in calculations and predictions, judgment. Um, so, you know, that's really what we're seeing in the energy sector today, including oil and gas is it's really a, an automation, digitization, and, and that's what Energy 2.0 really means. It's really about bringing new advanced digital technologies you know, to Houston, uh, to the doorstep of, of the global energy industry, and, and especially oil and gas uh, uh, companies, uh, and, and really trying to uh, create a convergence of, of technology and energy uh, to help the industry transition, accelerate the transition, to uh, low carbon energy. And that's really the ultimate goal. Um, and in Houston today, we want Houston to remain as a global energy capital, which it is. You know, we feel that, um, you know, we have uh, 18 Fortune 500 energy corporate headquarters. You know, we have over 250,000 direct energy jobs. When you add indirect and induced jobs, it's over a million jobs in Houston that are tied to the energy sector. So we want Houston to continue to be this global energy capital. But we realize in order to remain this global energy capital, we have to lead the world in energy transition. So it's really about understanding what's happening and the transformations happening inside of, of uh, the energy sector. Uh, and that's what re really what we're focused on. You had started this program in, in Austin with about, if I remember right, when we first got in, involved, we, there was only like 30 companies uh, looking at transition or, or at least clean energy projects. And what is it today? I mean, and you, you, in fact, I think by the time I interviewed you in, in that year, particular year, it had already moved up to quite a, quite a big number. But now what is it? In, in the Austin, Texas region, you know, yeah, you're right. We started uh, uh, around 30 clean tech or renewable energy companies today. Austin has over 200. Uh, and in terms of jobs, it, was, it started around a couple thousand. Now it's over 30,000 jobs are directly tied to clean energy just in Austin. In Houston, very similar story. Houston, uh, you know, it's a larger market, uh, but Houston actually has more clean energy or clean tech companies than Austin. And we have about 250 uh, clean tech companies and we have somewhere around 60,000 uh, clean energy jobs. A lot of those are energy efficiency jobs, uh, but we also have a lot of solar jobs, wind energy, um, battery development jobs. So you name it. Um, and what's interesting in Houston is we have actually 80 technology, over 80 technology companies that are focused on new energy tech. That's everything from cloud computing, robotics, machine learning. So, so these industries have, have really just exploded over the last decade, uh, creating a lot of new technologies, new innovations that are positively impacting the industry. But when you drill down to these, all these startup companies in clean tech, whether it's Austin or Houston or Dallas or some other region, you look at who's working within those companies. A lot of the, the innovators from oil and gas are finding their way into uh, these advanced clean tech companies. And a lot of the innovators in the technology industry are finding their way into these, these uh, new clean tech companies. Um, so 
Cleantech has really been able to, to leverage the existing workforce, the existing energy expertise that we have in Texas, uh, whether it be in, in Houston or Austin. Um, that, that's just a, been a really interesting um, um, scenario that's played out in terms of how our workforce has transitioned. And if it weren't for the workforce transition to these new high growth areas of energy, you know, we wouldn't be seeing energy transition you know, at, at a very, very high level. Um, so that's been very encouraging to see is how the workforce has adapted to these new opportunities. To many, you know, when we say clean energy, especially if it's a, a you know, the, the green uh, promotion, in a sense, of, of the future, uh, there are those that are threatened by that. I find that uh, those that are not threatened are those that are really moving forward. Uh, for example, environmental social governance seems to be a threat to some. There are many companies, uh, and I know major independents and, and others, majors uh, in the oil and gas industry have stepped forward and said, no, we need to address those issues. And, and I find that if, if not, uh, there are those going to be left behind. How do, how do you see, you're saying there, you're seeing a good response overall. I mean, I'm sure there's those that are not. I mean, I feel like the future is there in a positive way if people will embrace uh, working together instead of really fighting, uh, fighting the the, you know, things are improving. No, absolutely, Mark. And, and I think, you know, this whole idea of energy transition has been in some ways a contentious uh, issue, you know, for, for the incumbent, you know, uh, energy sector. Um, and, but what's interesting is from my perspective, you know, the, the energy majors have always been at the table on, on pretty much every step uh, along the path of energy transition. I, I worked for the University of Texas a big energy research university, you know, in Austin, Texas. Um, and, and I ran several major energy research programs at UT. I was in charge of developing these industry partnerships to support specific research programs around energy topics. And, and you know, we had major energy players at the table from day one. We, we had companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron and Shell, you know, NG, uh, BP, uh, Conoco, you know, we had all the energy majors at the table engaged and thinking about, you know, what are the future technologies? What are the future innovations? And, and the energy majors really wanted to play an active role in developing these new, new energy technologies and specifically low carbon or, or zero carbon energy technologies. You know, even renewable energy um, research projects were being driven by Shell, you know, BP, um, you know, around solar, around batteries, around wind. Um, and if you look at the energy majors, you know, that they are, they're, they're increasingly diversifying their, their technology base and their revenue and their business models and revenue streams. Uh, but their, their wind divisions, solar divisions, battery storage divisions, they're all growing. They're putting a lot of, a lot of investment into those areas. So in Houston, when I made the transition to Houston, uh, it was, it was really a, um, a natural transition for me because I was already working with a lot of these energy majors on, on the university academic research side. And now in Houston, we're working collaboratively with all the energy majors on, on developing new uh, energy transition um, strategies for the region. One, one being, you know, the oil and gas industry has really stepped up and in, in leading new efforts around hydrogen. Um, you know, right, right now you, you primarily have a lot of gray hydrogen project production, which is, not necessarily capping CO2, but all the new hydrogen products are coming um, that are that are being developed and, and kind of in a concept phase are all about blue hydrogen, where you're taking natural gas, steam methane reform, capturing capturing the CO2, 
And then the very next step after that is green hydrogen production. And there's a lot of new act activity and projects in Houston focused on green hydrogen, where you're not using natural gas as a feedstock, you're using water and you're extracting hydrogen from water and there's no CO2 emission. So you're seeing oil and gas companies actually funding a lot of these new innovations around hydrogen research. Same thing for carbon capture and storage. You, you may have read recently that ExxonMobil, uh, they, they wrote an op-ed uh, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, and and they talked about um, how they want to spend upwards of a hundred billion, with a B, billion dollars, on building out a massive carbon uh, capture and storage facility, or otherwise called a carbon hub facility, in the Houston Ship Channel, where they would link together all the carbon emitting carbon emitting uh, facilities in the Ship Channel, and and capturing that CO two, collecting it, and then injecting it uh, deep underground. Uh, in the ship channel for permanent, you know, CO2 storage. Um, so, you know, from my my perspective, I know, you know, publicly you get into political, you know, back and forth and messaging and narratives, but but the the industry has been highly supportive and I would say progressive on on especially on new innovations, new research, and also pilot and demonstration projects for for low carbon energy and and even clean energy for that matter. LNG. Do you see quite a bit of activity that way? I know that uh, being from uh, Oklahoma, uh, natural gas, especially the Arctic Basin and other basins throughout the U.S. As far as that goes, uh, they're looking at uh, the opportunities in LNG. Uh, what What do you see in the as far as the future of LNG? Yeah, well, we've we've made great strides in LNG, you know, in the United States, especially in Texas, and in partnership with Oklahoma. Uh, drawing drawing a lot of the natural gas uh, resources uh, into the Gulf Coast region and 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 packaging it up as LNG that we're now exporting. So you know initially a lot of these LNG export terminals were designed to be import terminals. We had to spend several billion dollars each to convert them, and now you have companies like you know Chenier and you know uh, others that are that are operating export facilities, which is I think has been great uh for for uh, all the all the natural gas producing states um in the united states especially in the midwest including oklahoma um interesting things happening around LN lng right now are, are how these facilities are being uh powered um a lot of the lng operators are procuring uh renewable energy to power their facilities actually building out microgrid infrastructure around their lng terminals uh to protect those facilities from you know power outages. We have a, we have a hurricane circulating right now in the Gulf, and uh, and and these facilities are vulnerable uh, to um, extreme weather events, flooding, power outages. So, and so you're seeing LNG facilities and operators uh, really taking uh, a lot of um, a lot of steps to to harden their infrastructure with battery energy storage, renewable energy on site, even even uh, natural gas combined heat and power facilities. Um, so, so LNG has really um, has really advanced quite a bit in terms of the sophistication of the infrastructure. Another um, another area within LNG that seems to be um, uh, gaining some traction is around renewable uh, natural gas and renewable LNG. So, extracting um, L uh, natural gas and, and LNG from from biomethane. So, uh, there, you're starting to see some partnerships with ag the agricultural industries extracting um, biomethane from landfills and from cattle um, farming and, and other other sources. Um, and so this is really gaining traction. There's you know companies in the upper Midwest that are looking to build biomethane facilities all across the Midwest to take advantage of the rich agricultural as assets that we have and to 
instead of letting the methane um, uh, vent into the atmosphere to to capture it and to basically uh, compress it and turn it into LNG for export. Um, so so that's another new innovation happening on the LNG front. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's been innovations across the board, as, including the LNG space. Internationally, uh, where do you see the the best opportunities? I know we export natural gas to to Mexico, definitely to the Asia market as well as Europe. But beyond that, what, where do you see internationally, especially Houston and Texas? How involved are they going to be internationally? And I know they already are, but to what extent? Yeah, well, we've been doing a lot of of programming with our international partners. You know, I don't know if uh, uh, if everyone realizes, but Houston is, uh, I think, the third largest um, um, uh, uh, city in the United States for for international consulates. So we have over 90 international consulates in Houston, primarily because of the energy sector. So we work closely with all of our international partners. And we've been doing a lot of virtual trade missions, you know, with you know, Norway, with Denmark, uh, the Netherlands, uh, the UK, Scotland, Canada, uh, even South America with Mexico, and all the way out to, you know, uh, Southeast Asia, including Australia. And in and, and every major energy hub around the world is, is going through their own transitions right now. And so they're learning a lot uh, from what's happening in Houston and Texas and, and also Oklahoma, because uh, we have such robust uh, energy infrastructure on, on a much larger scale than many other uh, countries. And so uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, international partners are, are approaching us right now to learn you know, new best practices on, on transitioning different segments of the energy sector and incorporating new technologies. But as far as new markets, you know, you look at, you know, uh, countries that, that are just advancing, third world countries are really moving up and developing their energy infrastructure, especially, you know, nations in Africa and South America and also uh, Asia. And, and they are, uh, you know, essentially they're becoming new markets for, for uh, the U.S. And, and LNG is a great way that we can serve, um, serve those markets. But also, I think in hydrogen, I think hydrogen is increasingly going to become a uh, an energy resource that we export. Um, and and the, the best way to do that is through ammonia. And so we've had a lot of conversations on building you know green ammonia plants. Where we're basically making uh, green ammonia, safely transporting that where it can be easily broken down into hydrogen uh, by the end user. And so I think you're you're going to see a lot of the a lot of the markets that we're exporting LNG to. Could also be potentially hydrogen markets for the United States as well, um, and if and if we're not e- exporting just the the raw resources, then we may we may also have an opportunity to export the technologies as well. Um, you know, we have several startups in, in the Houston region that are focused on new uh, green hydrogen technologies, making electrolyzers and fuel cells um, that that are using you know green hydrogen, you know, producing green hydrogen and using green hydrogen as fuel. Um, so we have an opportunity to to sell these these new technologies into these markets as well. Um, so I would say, in terms of um, the U.S., you know, being the primary source of of, of new energy technologies, new energy resources, um, and with the the rest of the world, you know, developing nations increasingly, um, you know, being more reliant on on new sources of energy um, as as populations are moving increasingly out of poverty. And, and I think the energy use per capita is, is also increasing. Um, I think the U.S. is well positioned to serve all of these new markets um, with new, new advanced technology options and energy options. 
Um, so I, I, I see the future as being very bright on the energy front. How many years uh, as far as the hydrogen infrastructure, how far, how, how far away are we from your perspective? Well, I mean, you know, the, the reality is that we already are a, a massive hydrogen hub in, in Houston. We have, we have you know, some of the longest collection of hydrogen pipeline in, in the world already. That actually connects all the way into Louisiana, partly uh, into Oklahoma and all the way down the Texas Gulf Coast. Uh, so we produce a tremendous amount of hydrogen already. Now, the trick is hydrogen being a very volatile gas, how do we export that safely? So that's where uh, ammonia comes into play. Um, you know, and, and also there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of discussion. There's actually, a, I think, uh, Entergy recently launched a, a dual fuel power plant facility that's using hydrogen and natural gas. Um, and so I think you're going to start to see more pilot projects around the conversion of natural gas power plants to include hydrogen. And so that'll be a very interesting transition as we're, you know, especially here in Texas, where we're dealing with uh, a, a very fast growing population, uh, increasing energy use across all of our industrial sectors, residential, uh, commercial, industrial. Um, so we are, you know, we've faced challenges. You, you look at the winter storm last February that really hit Texas hard, knocked out our power grid for about a week. Um, you know, one of the issues that, that has come up is, you know, we need to be able to weatherize. We need to be able to have more diversified energy resources. So I think you're going to see hydrogen as really being a, a, a great option for utilities across the state and power providers, um, especially when you get into a winter storm situation where natural gas is being demanded for, for home heating um, and also for power plant, uh, power generation. Um, you know, you, you can uh, potentially avoid some of those conflicts by converting some of the natural gas facilities into hydrogen facilities. Um, so I, th I think we're well positioned to continue building out our hydrogen economy. Um, many of the energy majors are already playing leadership roles, um, you know, in hydrogen. Um, and I think you're increasingly going to see more investment into hydrogen infrastructure, especially around, you know, green hydrogen technologies, blue and green hydrogen technologies. Um, and then the interconnection between hydrogen and, and the carbon capture and, and storage economy. You know, the CCS uh, economy is directly tied to hydrogen, especially if you're going to make blue hydrogen. Um, so I think that we're also well positioned there as we also have significant uh, carbon pipeline, CO2 pipeline uh, infrastructure in place. Well, and you've, you've really answered a question that, that I know those in the audience, uh, especially students, are looking, well, I, I don't want to enter the oil and gas industry or energy industry. There's no future. And I'm going, there's a big future. There's so many opportunities, especially even in the oil and gas sector itself, uh, maintaining what we have, but also uh, the what you're just talking about is the future of natural gas ties to hydrogen. Talk it's tied to our the grid system on and on, and international LNG cells and so forth. Uh, what, what what would you advise a student? Because workforce is a is a big key to uh, to several that I talk to that have. Have shown interest, but then they go, "No, I don't want to enter right now because I'm afraid I won't have a job." And I'm going, "If if you're, you know, is it the land and jobs? Where where do you advise uh, young people in all ages, as far as they want to be involved in energy business? Where do you go?" And I know Houston's definitely the hub, and Austin as well. Well, I mean, you know, if you care about you know clean energy, renewables, you 
care about major environmental, you know, social government governance issues, ESG. You know, you care about um, being part of, of efforts that um, um, that that are well funded and are and are able to scale quickly. You know, the really there's no other industry on the planet that can scale faster and and larger than the energy sector. I mean, the the global energy system is on such a massive scale. And it's only increasing. You know, I know that we have a lot of new renewables and a lot of new energy efficiency technologies on the grid today, which are designed to help us use less energy. But the reality is that with population growth and and just the electrification of everything within our homes, our our electric vehicles, everything we're plugging into wall outlets and into the grid, energy use per capita is actually increasing. And so you know, the, we have to really understand like where are the opportunities for young people to make a big impact. You know, I still think that uh, the ener- the major energy companies, you know, have the resources to to have to produce the biggest impacts. When even when it comes to fighting climate change, uh, you know, to embark on on developing new carbon capture storage infrastructure, hydrogen infrastructure, even with the scale up of renewable energy. Um, so if I'm a young person that really wants to you know, have a big impact and bring my talent and skills uh, to fighting big global challenges. Um, I think being a part of a major energy company and leveraging that platform and that network, especially that international reach that that an energy company has, is a is a great way to to you know utilize your skills and to make a big Im- impact. What's interesting is that with the transformations happening in the energy sector. Um, you know, digital technologies are, are increasingly important. And so what you'll find on university campuses is where, you know, you know, major gas and, and oil and, and chemicals companies used to spend a lot of time recruiting out of, you know, petroleum engineering programs uh, or, or geosciences programs. A lot of these big energy companies are now recruiting heavily and maybe even more so today out of computer science, machine learning, robotics, you know, AI programs. And so the kids that are going into these digital technology fields, uh, when they're in college, uh, they're in a great position because they're getting recruited by the big tech companies like the Googles, the Facebooks, the Apples, but they're also getting recruited by the Exxon Mobiles and Chevrons and Shells and Halliburtons. And um, and so I think, you know, they have their pick. I, I think if you go into one of these digital technology fields and you're gaining these types of skills, um, you're going to be in very, very high demand. So I would I would tell an individual who who wants to is interested in 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 you know a lot of these environmental ESG issues wants to apply their skills and expertise in positive ways. I would say you know uh, first of all go pursue a, a degree that's in high demand like one of these digital tech degrees, um, and then you know explore the the, the companies that are approaching you because you're going to get approached. I'm I'm telling you, you're it's not going to be long before you get a job offer. And, and a lot of the offers you're going to get are going to be from these energy majors because they want these skills. They want these skills in-house. Um, what we're seeing in Houston is a lot of these energy majors are partnering with big tech companies to get the, the technology, access to the technologies that they need right now. But long-term, you're increasingly going to see the big energy companies developing their own in-house digital technology division, divisions uh, to d- handle a lot of the cloud computing, the data analytics in-house. Um, so I think there's a number of ways for for young people to get involved, but I would say that you know if you really want to make a big impact, I would go work for an energy company um, if, if I really wanted to uh, you know be in a digital tech field, want to have a big impact globally. I think that's the place to be. 
No question. You know, I'd, I'd been given a talk since about 2018. The title was The Digital Transformation from the Whiteboard to the Boardroom. I found that there are uh, those of the whiteboard, meaning the, the students, uh, young, young techs and, and older as well, that were uh, advising the, the board of the future. And that's what I was kind of indicating earlier is that there's a lot of uh, companies that are embracing the opportunities that are there, but there are those that aren't yet and should be when it comes to digital transformation. There's so many opportunities there if uh, the board uh, will listen to uh, those from the whiteboard as to what can be the future. And so I'm glad you're saying that because, in fact, I'm giving a talk uh, here. Uh, it will be in Houston in October, late October, to an association. Uh, it'll be uh, embracing really uh, what we're talking about, the natural gas infrastructure and the digital transformation. Uh, and I think uh, those areas in particular, but it's much more broad than that. Uh, in, in summary, in summary, what would you say the future looks like uh, from your crystal ball over the next 10, 20, 30 years down the road? We hear different statistics coming out that it's going to be electric vehicles for, for uh, transportation. It's going to be, uh, you know, power generation will be something uh, from solar, wind, renewable, so forth. What, what do you see the future being? And who knows, of course, but things do change. In fact, we've talked about hydrogen for so many years. I believe it is coming to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the future will be very interesting. I mean, the, the bottom line is that we need to uh, significantly enhance our energy infrastructure across the board, and that includes all forms of energy. You know, I think that um, the the rise of electric vehicle adoption, passenger vehicles, even trucking, commercial vehicles, will put a tremendous strain on the power grid. Um, I I think that this uh, trend will only accelerate, uh, to be honest with you. I think that uh, every major auto OEM has already committed to going 100% electric with all their vehicle platforms, uh, both uh, international, foreign automakers and domestic. And then you got the rise of all these new EV companies, you know, of course, Tesla, but, uh, you know, Nikola and Rivian and, and many others. Um, so you're going to have, uh, consumers are going to have a lot of different options for transportation going forward. And that is just going to increasingly put stress in, on the grid, which is already, um, you know, highly vulnerable to to changing weather patterns and uh, especially winter winter weather events in southern states that aren't used to extreme winter weather. Um, and so what I what I really see happening is is a I think that we're going to have a, a lot more technology integration into the electric grid to better manage and balance the grid, so we don't have these cascading power outages that impact massive areas, entire states or multi-state regions, uh, I think you're going to see more microgrid infrastructure go in, whether it be, you know, residential neighborhoods or corporate office parks uh, or even industrial complexes. I think you're going to increasingly see the use of microgrid technologies. And these microgrids will be made up of a combination of technologies. You know, some of it will be solar, some of it will be battery. But some of it will just be combined heat and power plants using natural gas. Um, and so it's going to be a mix of different technologies. But I think what you're going to see is, is each, uh, uh, each part of our, of our energy grid will really start to, 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 um, to customize the types of, of energy resources and technologies and redundancy that, that is needed in those locations. 
And that'll be a combination of factors that will determine the technologies from water availability to uh, typical seasonal climate variations to uh, population density. Um, so there's going to be a lot of factors that go into hardening and strengthening the grid. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more investment going forward in, in battery technologies. Uh, I think you're already seeing a lot of new innovations happening with lithium ion batteries, but there's also new battery chemistries that are emerging out of universities right now. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of new software developed to better manage battery systems to make them more reliable so that they don't catch on fire. Um, and they have you know, longer uh, charge cycles and, and they can be um, used for longer periods of time. I think that spent uh, battery cells and electric vehicles will find second, uh, second uses on the power grid, uh, kind of second life uses. And so I think you're going to see a lot of interesting new markets emerge on power grid infrastructure. Um, on, on, you know, uh, the fuel side, I think, you know, you're going to see, um, you know, oil and gas companies increasingly diversify their business models. You know, I think, you know, definitely around petrochemicals and plastics, um, circular economy, I think is going to be huge for chemicals companies. So, you know, how, how, how much plastic can be reclaimed and recycled and integrated into, um, you know, uh, traditional processes. So circular economy would be a very big area of opportunity for oil and gas and chemicals companies. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that, you know, of course, hydrogen, we talked about carbon capture and storage, I think will be new market opportunities. I'm really interested to see, you know, with the Houston Ship Channel, if we build out a massive carbon hub facility, which by some estimates will be you know the largest in the world maybe twice or three times larger than some of the largest carbon hub facilities in the world um, you know the uk uh, and also rotterdam port of rotterdam have very large carbon hub facilities they're estimating that the ship the houston ship channel could see a facility upwards of that has a capacity of storing upwards of 20 million tons of carbon a year just a huge huge capacity but i'm, I'm curious to see if uh you know if traditional oil and gas companies who embark on carbon capture and storage can start building a business model around carbon as a service. So uh, if Exxon or Chevron or Shell or BP, um, you know, want to build out their own carbon hub facilities, you know, can they build these facilities so other carbon emitting facilities in the region can tie in and basically pay like a Chevron or a BP uh, a service fee for taking that carbon uh, off their books and and handling it and storing it and disposing of it uh, or or repurposing it for other industrial purposes. Uh, so I think carbon as a service could be a very big business opportunity for traditional energy companies. Um, you know, and then you know you look at just all the all the industries that are reliant on on uh, oil and gas uh, and and energy, which is every industry. But you know the aviation industry. You're seeing a lot of new innovations around electric. Um, uh, electric platforms, whether it be aircraft or, or uh, drone technologies. Um, so, so you're just going to see a lot of transformations happening and different types of energy technologies used across the board. Um, you know, and I think one thing that's happening also at the, at the local and state level is you're starting to see the emergence of new programs to help fund new innovations uh, within the energy space. So, one thing that's happening in Texas right now is we are 
kind of lined up as a state to receive somewhere around $16 billion out of the, uh, out of the infrastructure bill that's pending. Um, what we are hoping to be able to do is to carve out about $3 billion um, to, to form an energy innovation fund. And, and, you know, a program like that could help us, you know, pay for better weatherization on the grid for traditional power plants. It could help pay for, um, you know, upgrading transmission line infrastructures and, and adding more, you know, DC transmission. Um, and so there's a lot of opportunities with some of these regulatory policy efforts around improving energy infrastructure. So I think all that will help accelerate the transition of, of, of the energy sector and energy infrastructure. Um, so it, it's pretty exciting. I, th I think energy by far is, is the most critical and consequential industry sector we have you know, in the world. And I think every industry sector is dependent on energy in some way, shape or form. And so I think that's really, we're gonna see a lot of new innovation, a lot of new, uh, a lot of new startups emerge as well, uh, which, is, which is always exciting to see. You've been listening to Jose Bassaro. Jose, uh, how you've motivated me to become even more active <laughs> in the energy sector. After 44 years in the business, I'm just getting started. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you uh, gave uh, Nothing Moves Without Energy, and that, that kind of proves that. Uh, really appreciate your time and your, your experience and your passion for, uh, for the energy industry uh, overall. Uh, Folks, uh, stay tuned to National Energy Talk. We're going to have uh, other guests along the way, and I hope to get uh, Jose back on. Uh, if you have suggestions, comments, definitely let me know about those. You can go to www.markstansbury.com. Again, Jose, many thanks. Thank you, Mark. It was my pleasure. Really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can do another one uh, within the next decade. I hope very soon. Thank you. <laughs>